coming up this week off screen. Brian Cox is Churchill. Chris Evans looks after the gifted. We rock out with our dog out. There's a visit to Slack Bay. Things get painful with nails. A-list comedians tell us about dying laughing. The Holocaust is revisited in Destination Unknown. Different lives will cross by the time it gets dark. Stockholm gets some love. And it's a good day to die. Almost to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Collar. And I have returned. You have returned, Mr. Allen. Yeah. And uh, a, qu- yes. a quick thank you to John mm. Colson for stepping in in your absence, by the way. He did a great job. He did, yeah. I listened a couple of times. Uh, well, I, I listened for like maybe five minutes for each episode. Is um, it like seeing your girlfriend step out with another man? Is that what it was like when someone else is in your seat on the show? Yeah, but I'm weirdly into that. You're weirdly into that. Okay. Yeah, so we all have kind of things. Yeah, no, I was, I was away. Um, what did I do? On one of the weeks, I developed the word uh, coffee Kofifi, yeah, oh, right. and uh, then I ran for a member of parliament uh, under the guy's Lord Buckethead. Really, that was I that always was me who time. that was. Mm. I did think there was something strangely familiar about him. Yeah. <laughs> right, so uh, some film news to kick us off then before we launch into the first review of the week, and it's, it's some sad stuff, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, so Adam West died. He did, or Adam Wee. Adam as, Wee, as we know, oh. <laughs> no, from Family Guy. Well, yeah, it just hit me up. Just hit me like a train. I think hit everyone because he is ostensibly. Sorry, can't even talk. It's my first day back. It is. He is everyone's first Batman. He is. He is everyone's yeah. childhood Batman. The thing yeah. is, as well, we've now lost Bond and Batman in a fortnight. I was thinking about we've lost our first Bond. Well, yeah. obviously not the first Bond, but our well, first our Bond. first collective Bond. Yeah, yeah. and uh, first Batman as well. Oh man! So the first Batman actor to die, the first Bond actor to die as well. It's not been a great time. No, and people were bad mouth in 2016 as being the celebrity killer. <laughs> But, um, I think they're just saving all the nerd cred for this year. That's what it is. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Anybody totally like, more relevant for like pop culture, definitely. <laughs> just but... please form an orderly protective <laughs> circle around Stan Lee right now. Oh, man, I watched a video of Stan Lee earlier, just like an interview, mm-hmm. and that's all I could think the entire time. Yeah. Just put him in a bubble. So 88 years old, Adam West. Yeah, he, he lived life. Obviously, he was Batman on TV, mm-hmm. and then he was Adam West. In and then Family he was Guy. Adam West in Family And, yeah. I mean, obviously, amongst other things, and... I always got the impression that he just he loved his fans and he loved doing what he did and the yeah. s- the story originally goes that in the years immediately after being Batman when he discovered how typecast he was mm. it angered it angered and and caused a bit of depression for him and yeah. but then eventually he always just like wanted to be current didn't he, he did yeah. but he 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 learned to embrace the Batman thing he became the first meta actor which we now take for granted the mm. people like Hasselhoff and and you know folks of that ilk um, but. Adam West was the first one who did that. Yeah. And, I mean, no no one else would have done the Family Guy thing. That's an insane gag in, in the hands of anyone else. Mm, and the delivery with all of his lines yeah. is just incredible. Uh, oh, do you think it's going to be like Lionel Hutz on The Simpsons, that you retire that character? I think and, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's like with The Simpsons, with any actor who dies, like uh, Mrs. Smith Crabapple. Yeah, true, true. And, but, yeah. uh, oh, well, Adam West, uh, our, our Batman. Oh, Batman, my Batman. <laughs> But uh, so we shall we shall turn off the lights in the Batcave and and leave solemnly in silence. We'll put the little like 
cake thing over the red phone. And, exactly. Yeah. Oh, the Shakespeare head the, the, the cloth goes over the Shakespeare <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare bust. And mm. uh, yeah, so sad. It's just you think of the technical marvel that was Batman. Uh, and, same um, about time, same about channel. And, oh, I know yeah. that was yeah. But uh, I had to talk to Paul Ross about it, but. Yeah, and, and he did use the words uh, Val Kilmer, pretty good Batman. Christian Bale, bit iffy. Really? Yes. That's an opinion. That that that, mm. that is indeed an opinion. First time ever that I feel like Val Kilmer up here, <laughs> Christian Bale. <down. laughs> but okay, so first review of the week. Then let's talk about Stockholm, my love. Is this about Stockholm syndrome? It is not about Stockholm syndrome. It takes place in Doncaster, and <laughs> we had this last week with some film. I can't remember which one that was. I had a, 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 a city in the title, mm. and uh, we, we thought it'd take place in Scunthorpe. But wow, uh, exactly. But no. So uh, Stockholm, my love, which is uh, the dr- is quoted as being the dramatic feature debut of director Mark Cousins. Now, it actually works as a sort of half-performance art piece, half-poetic reading. It follows Nana Cherry in her film debut as she strolls around Stockholm for a day, verbally, uh, effectively in voiceover form, reading out a letter to her father. Does she take a chance on a buffalo stance? She does not indeed, no. Um, But it all has to do with an incident a year earlier where she accidentally hit a man with her car. Uh, We have a clip which is going to sort of set the tone of this for you. To escape. That's what I want to do. I wish I could turn the clock back. I wish I could change. I wish I could tell you what's happened. Okay, here it goes. So, yeah. Has she done the music as well? Uh, she's involved with the music side of it as well, yes. Um, and believe me, that's the most interesting part of the film, mm. but that's still a really low bar. Um, this is one of the dullest experiences of my life. This is... Are you friends with me? I, I know, I mean, go figure. <laughs> um, it is agonisingly directionless. It flounders from pretty much its opening frame to its closing reel. It is an infuriating exercise in artistic self-pandering, self-indulgence, just general self-adulation. It is utterly devoid of any artistic merit or value. It is the sort of film that exists purely for people at cocktail parties to talk about and try and make themselves sound clever. It is one of the worst experiences I have ever had in a cinema screen, and it was actually so bad that when the film was over, I turned to John Hearn and said the words, I never thought I'd say this, but right now I honestly wish I'd watched Battleship again. Do you know one of the worst experiences I ever had watching a film? Go on. I was watching uh, the first Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I had uh, a packet of uh, chocolate-flavour M&Ms. Mm-hmm. There was a lady sat in front of me, sporting like an Amy Winehouse-style like beehive. Okay. Mm-hmm. I opened up the M&Ms, but evidently like opened the package too like kind of hard, and yeah. the M&Ms went everywhere. In went her hair. all up in her hair. Oh. And she turned around, and she was like, 
I, I know it was you. <laughs> it was very embarrassing, and uh, yeah, kind of like marred the first film for me. Well, first I'm going to be honest. That that you just told me, mm. that that had a plot. That that story had a plot. Lisa got had a beginning, middle, and end. Mm. Yeah, it had a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, and that in a sense is then a better work of of yes. nonfiction or <laughs> a better work of storytelling than Stockholm. I mean, Milo. I am I'm waiting for the film of that story to be optioned. I would genuinely rather watch that than ever even think about Stockholm My Love again. Don't see Stockholm My Love. Do not indulge Mark Cousins. I mean, the best part is it's a dramatic feature debut. It's not really... It's literally Nana Cherry taking a walk. Hmm. And no... I mean, I came away from it thinking, you have forever ruined the song Seven Seconds. I am now only going to credit that song as having been sung. That's the other one. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I am now only going to credit that as being <laughs> sung by Yusu Denor. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Good memory. Thank you. It's, it, it's the only song of hers I know. It's, it's, it's like Macy Gray. I only know do you, I do you not know Buffalo Stance? No. Took a chance on a buffalo. I, sorry, I do know yeah, yeah. um, But yeah, so let's plug the podcast real quick. Let's do it, otherwise I'll sing more Nana Joe. You will sing songs that I know. Yeah, download the podcast or Case will personally arrive wherever you are and he will <laughs> serenade you with yeah. Nana Cherry songs, both yeah. of them. My both new, of the Nana N- Cherry songs. Nana, Nana Cherry Graham. <laughs> Enterprise <laughs> do we have to do a duet for seven seconds? Is that oh, you know we do. You know we do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can remember the French bits. Not entirely sure. Anyway, so uh, podcast plug. Uh, well, that's it. Download the extended podcast edition <laughs> on iTunes. Acast. You think you've done this before? Yeah, I know. Acast, Deezer, TuneIn, and of course, Digital Bling for Acast users. Because you know we, we pranked you with it last week. Admittedly, we we stuck your picture in there with gone fishing. That was that was quite fun. Sorry? But uh, yeah, so you get the trailers <laughs> and you get links and all that stuff in the Acast podcast. If you're using the Acast app or even going on the ACAS site and just look, listen to us on there. It's quite cool. And it all moves along in sequence with the show. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. It's, it turns into like a, a, a weird little handheld TV show. But, uh, yeah. So, let's talk about Gifted real quick in like two minutes or less. So, this is Mark Webb, isn't it? Directed it is. We did uh, 500 Days of Summer, did uh, The Amazing, or Not So Amazing, not so Spider- amazing. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man, should we Sp- say? The Spider-Man. Spider-Man. The Spider-Man. Phil Spider-Man. The Spill Spider-Man. The Spill Spider-Man. The Spill Spider-Man. Right, okay, so Mark... Exactly. So Mark Webb's got a different superhero this time. He's got Captain America. So Chris Evans is Frank. He is a freelance boat repairman in Florida, and he is the sole guardian of his young, his seven-year-old niece, who is gifted. She is, as the title refers to, gifted. Her mother was a genius mathematician. Her mother, sorry, was a a genius mathematician. Their mother, uh, Lindsay Duncan, uh, Chris Evans' mother, is uh, also gifted. She is a genius mathematician as well. And it seems talent just runs through this family because the little girl's gifted as well. The school identifies her as gifted. And then, inadvert- because of a meddling uh, principal who looks an awful lot like Alison Janey but isn't, um, winds up instigating a custody battle between Chris Evans and his mother over who is the more suitable guardian for the little girl. Uh, we have a clip. I didn't want to go to this stupid school in the first place. And the boy in the next row acts inappropriately for someone who's a child. I'm sorry, I'm still passive-aggressively ignoring you. Other kids answer questions, they don't get into trouble. You didn't get in trouble for answering questions. You yelled at the principal. Oh, you know what? You're going to find this interesting. So I googled first graders who yell at the principal, and statistically, you're never going to believe how many kids do it. How many? None. 
So the little girl is is, is McKenna Grace. Yeah, is that the little lass from uh, Mad Men? No, she she looks a lot like her. Don Draper's daughter. Yeah, she does. She's now she was in the the feud. She was in the the better uh, yes Betty Ben Joan yeah series yeah feud. Uh, right, so this is for all intents and purposes. Hallmark movie of the week type stuff, right? So, you know, standard, you know, you see it on Lifetime, you see it on Hallmark, you know, one of those, uh, you know, I'm going to leave this town, but don't hit me because you have a drinking problem, kind of a TV drama. Um, however, it's actually really well written. It's quite sharp and witty and clever, and the performances, every single performance in it is great. Chris Evans is in full Snowpiercer dramatic mode. You know, like, every now and again, Chris Evans goes and does one of these little dramas. He did one with Jessica Biel years ago called mm. London that I always thought was really underrated. But this is, I'm on fine dramatic form mode. Ladies marvel at my all-American loveliness. And and that's what it is. Uh, Jenny Slate, as the sort of love interest, is very underused. Lindsay Duncan, I think, is great. You said you were a fan of hers as Yeah, well. I really like her. And McKenna Grace, absolute breakout star of this. Uh, I think Mark Webb as the director is nothing really to sort of marvel at here. Um, but I do think the uh, the writing is what really makes this work. I'm trying to find where is the. So trying to find the name of the writer. I'm trying to find the name of the writer because I've forgotten it. Tom, Tom Flynn. Flynn. Yeah, yeah, Tom Flynn, who, as far as I know, is a relative unknown. And yeah, I, I really. Uh, I say he's written really, really low rent stuff here. But, uh, yeah, I was a big fan of this. It's, it's middle-of-the-road, but it's really high-end, enjoyable middle-of-the-road stuff, and I'm all for that. That's, if there's it's a just big like he- an engaging drama. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's it. I mean, I laughed an awful lot. I got a little misty-eyed at the end, got to admit. Um, it does drop the ball ever so slightly as it, as it sort of tries to reach a conclusion, because its, <laughs> ultimate, you know, its ultimate conclusion comes about through a mechanism that there is no setup for whatsoever. But... Other than that, yeah, actually a win. Not gifted, but mostly blessed. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. And we're back. You loved that, didn't you? That was you? new. That was shiny. I like uh, that. Yeah, well, I, I sent you a bunch while you were off. And I noticed you didn't reply. I mean, I'm just saying. That's what they were. Did you well, wonder why I sent you five audio files randomly? Um, yeah, I thought it was a mistake. <laughs> but I think it's a mistake when most people just text me anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sorry. I'll listen. In fact, no, I won't. I'll just sit here and just well, have them as a surprise. Another new one coming up, so don't look at the screen. Oh, but I can't wait. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's rock out with the dog out then. Let's, let's talk about Rock Dog, which I know you've been looking forward to for a long time <laughs> because purely for the naff factor, I've been taunting you yeah. with this film for about six months. Mm. So every, for the last six months, I have been periodically sending trailers, and posters, and things from the movie Rock Dog <laughs> to. Case through WhatsApp, just taunting him about the fact that yeah. we are eventually going to have to review this. Okay, this is pretty much exactly what you think it is. It is this low-rent, kind of lower-scale CG animated feature. With about, an incredible cast. With a strangely <laughs> incredible voice cast. Um, which is, uh, speaking of animation, we need to talk about My Life as a Courgette later. Um, because yeah, I, I need to break you as a person and that film will do it. And it has Nick Offerman in it. Anyway, hmm. so in the English version. Right, so this is about a dog, would you believe? <laughs> a rock dog. <laughs> a, a dog who, one, who he lives in like the Himalayas kind of a location, which happens to be next to a city. And uh, he's being trained by his father, who's J.K. Simmons, to basically Natural. protect the sheep of their village from wolves. Wolves who operate like, like mobsters. 
right? And the head of the wolves is voiced by Lewis Black. So the idea is that one day our rock dog um, is hit on the head by a radio that falls out of a plane. He then hears rock music for the first time, discovers that he really wants to be a rock musician, and journeys to the city in search of Angus Scattergood, who is this, this uh, I don't know, kind of a... a, a what do you, kind of a Keith Moon type? This picture makes this cat look like like Andy Warhol. And a, he looks like a, Andy Warhol. Yeah, cat. he looks like Andy Warhol, but he's like a parody version of Keith Richards or any one of the classic rocksters. And he's voiced by Eddie Izzard in full rock star mode. You know. Amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> and this is it. And the whole thing is to get Angus Scattergood to teach him how to be a rock star. I tell you what, here's a clip of them running away from a crowd. Are you run with me? Why are they all chasing us? Because I, because I am Angus Scattergood. What? What? I knew you were Angus Scattergood. Hey, what do you think about maybe becoming my music teacher? I'm not going to be a music teacher, mate. Will you just think about it. Look, when I count to three, you go off to the right, and I'll carry on this direction. Okay? One, two, three. Okay. Can't do it. You're still I'm gonna stick with you. Big twist. <laughs> Right, um, yeah, so you know what you're kind of getting from, from that. And like I said to you, I could listen to uh, Eddie Adelard's voice all day. And it, it's faintly amusing, you know, hearing him do this. It's about the only amusement you get from a film that otherwise is really shoddily put together, really ramshackle. And You say that. Yeah. You say that, Van Connor. However, Sam Elliott does voice a character, presumably a yak, called... Fleetwood Yak. He does, and you know what that character is? And this is one of the issues, the kind of film we're talking about. He's basically doing his role from The Big Lebowski. And you sort of thinking... Well, the, the Stranger. The Stranger. He's yeah. playing The Stranger. And in exactly the same way, he narrates Amazing. the beginning and end the way he does The Big Lebowski. Mm. And you sort of think, now that joke just about works for me, but who's that there for? Because, for one thing, for a movie called Rock Dog, it's surprisingly devoid of rock. Yeah. But right. there is dogs. There are dogs. Um, their version of rock is very strange. And, yeah, I mean, there is, there, for instance, there is a Foo Fighters song included at one point when the character is leaving so, home. So there are actual... There are two... There, there are famous there songs. There are two famous rock songs in it. The rest is just, like, some guys written them yeah. in, in Logic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they, they are, you know, all-purpose, you know, sub-hard gen- DreamWorks rock. musical. Amazing. Right, it plays like Zootopia meets Sing if you can imagine that. Yeah. Uh, but with the quality of neither. And but is, so- it, is it better than Top Cat the movie? <laughs> oh, God, yes, it's better than Top Cat the movie. I mean, but that, again, that's low faint, bar. That's faint praise, isn't it? But is it better than Top Cat Begins? <laughs> oh, the, the pseudo-sequel. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, that's the thing. It will work for very, very young kids, but I think that's a stretch. I think it might even bore them. Mm. It is very low rent, despite the calibre of the voice cast, which includes... Like May Whitman and mm. Lewis Black and Keenan Keenan is in this and uh, George Garcia. From, uh, yes, from yes, uh, early, early from Lost. And you just think, why are you people in this? And you come away and you just think, why did I watch this? And you know what? We all deserve to be punished. Give me some news, please. Cheer me up, Mister Allen. What we got? Have we? I mean, obviously, I've been away for a couple yeah. of weeks. I want to talk about a certain Senor Spielberg film that's coming out, and I don't know if you spoke about this last week. The papers. 
Did we talk? Did you guys talk about it? Last we week? did talk about it because didn't oh, it get uh, got a lot of cast? I can talk about it again. It's a bit slow news. Week. We'll talk about it with me because I know that our boy Bradders is in it. Yes, Bradders is in it. Yes, yeah. So now I, I just wanted to talk about the fact that Steven Spielberg was like, right, I get two of the most beloved, famous actors of their generation of all yeah. generations, really, and then I will pad the cast with every great person from TV. Is Alison <laughs> Janney in there? No, but... She's not, strangely. She used to think, <laughs> she really how is Alice Jenny no, not but, in this cast? Uh, Bradley Whitford from West Wing is in there, Zach yeah. Woods from Silicon Valley is yeah, in there. Yeah, as soon as you get Bradley Whitford and Zach Woods in the same show, is that not... It's same movie. Is that not your perfect movie? It's put. I mean, when you put uh, Alison B from Community in there, yep. put David Cross from pretty much every show and Arrested Development in Everything there. Everything you love, yeah. Yeah, but I've just realised... David Cross and Bob Oden- and uh, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, I remember film together. That's amazing. Is that Mr. Show? They Mr. Show, Show together, yeah. Didn't they, yeah. Sarah Paulson. I know from <laughs> All the Whole Story. And so this is actually coming out story. sooner rather than later. This is the end of this year on limited release, and then it's getting a wide release. Of smack in the middle of sort of Oscar season, isn't it? Yeah, because everyone kind of saw that cast and were like, <laughs> "Ding!" <laughs> like, just just start sharpening the Oscar envelopes now and yeah. get it done with. Yeah, it, it's it's very strange film, isn't it? Because he was prepping. Uh, Ready Player One to be his next, and mm-hmm. he's already he's already filmed that, wrapped on that. There's Dude, a lot of post production on there's that. There's so though. much post yeah. on that that he was like, right, I'm gonna squeeze. I can't film. wait to see the VR tie-in that they come up with for that one because oh, that's clearly got to happen. It's definitely gonna happen. But um, yeah, before that one, he was actually mm. going to do another film with surprise, surprise, Mark Rylance, who is mm. not in this film. Weirdly, I'm devastated by that. That news. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, what was it? The Kidnapping the Pope film. Which oh, somebody, yes, it is another one, yeah. Um, Edgar Matora or something. Something like that. And uh, that had uh, Oscar Isaac and Mark that, That's the one, yeah. yeah. But, I feel uh, like it should just have like a really great Pope name. It's something to do like Kidnapping a Pope. Pope Star. Pope Star. Pope on the run. Pope Star. <laughs> never stop, never praying. Yeah. But, yeah, that could exactly. Be yeah, but that, that was supposed to be his next one, and then uh, apparently this story was far too good to pass up. I can understand that. It sounds Such amazing. A it really well. does. So um, let's do a quick review of Churchill then. Yeah, because, uh, you know. We don't want to wait too long for the next Churchill film that comes no. out in January. So we got is it one just me, or is this now a requirement of all British actors? Once you reach a certain age and weight, mm. you have to play Churchill. Don't even have to reach the weight. I mean, have you seen that picture of Gary Oldman as Churchill? Well, yeah, makeup effects. Oh. I mean, when is it going to be Stephen Fry's turn? That's what I want to know, because he's got to be Two. next five years Two. tops. Yeah. yeah, And then, of course, we wait another 15, 20 years, Tom Hardy will do it. And, you know, any day now, Mark <laughs> Rylance will have a pop. And... We have got Tom Hardy news later. <laughs> we hope good. Right, so now it's Brian Cox's turn, the actor, not the astronomer. So, the first Hannibal <laughs> Lecter, the X-Men villain, that Brian Cox. Um, he is, he's old Winston himself. The idea of this is this is set 96 hours before D-Day. You've got John Slattery as General Eisenhower. You've great casting. A, a great casting. Now, I'm going to get to that because this is one of the best cast movies you will ever ever come across, and that is both a good and bad thing. I don't know, we've just been talking about Rock Dog. Yeah, but this is, that's both a good and bad thing in this case. Okay. You've got James Purefoy is King George, so King Speech. Yeah. Uh, you've got Miranda Richardson is Clementine Churchill, she's his wife. Ella Purnell is his new assistant. The idea is uh, that Churchill thinks that the D-Day invasion is going to lead to massive casualties. He doesn't think it's going to work. He thinks it will destroy the British war effort. He's trying to come up with a plan of his own. He's struggling. He's having a crisis of his own self-worth because what is the point of me being the leader of Britain when the, you know, the men I send off to die, I have no, I just sit behind a desk, what good am I? And in the meanwhile, he's having his own, uh, his own marital crisis as well in the background, and his assistant, 
is engaged to someone who's also a part of the invasion. Uh, we have a clip. The cabinet office has sent you a new secretary. Could you say hello? Why do I need a new secretary? Because you ate the last one. Oh. <laughs> Alan Garrett. My dear, there's no need to drop to the floor, my dear. I'm not royalty. Sorry, I. it's such an honour to meet you, Mr Churchill, sir. My mother and I are huge supporters. Ah, yes? Yes. Well, well, you're the one, sir. The one who'll see us through. He won't give up on us. My dear Miss Garrett, that's why I fight on every day. And now I must go forth and do... What's that? Brian Cox there, who, dependent on which point in the film you're, you're watching, either sounds exactly like Winston Churchill or weirdly like Alan Frank. So, what, one or the other. Um, right, okay, it is brilliantly cast. The only problem is, the brilliant casting comes with a level of writing that only requires that cast to deliver the kind of thing we always see them do. So... You, do you like John Slattery in Mad Men? You know I do. Of course you do. So guess what? He's playing uh, General Eisenhower like Roger Sterling for Mad Men. Do you like Miranda Richardson? I'm better. Guess kind of what? Partial. She's yeah. doing that standard Miranda Richardson performance. And you, you come away from it. And, and like James Purefoy turns up, and it's really just a sort of parodic imitation of, of the, the King's Speech role. And you just come away and you just think... This hasn't surprised me in any way, nor has it particularly bored me. I've kind of just sat there stone-faced for, you know, hour and 40 minutes. Mm. And that's really it. There is no narrative arc to it whatsoever. However, it's built entirely around the idea of character arcs. So they seem to have mistaken one arc for another. Come up with a movie that is basically just about this, this guy's moods. And they've sold that as a Churchill drama. And you sit there and think, why can't we just have a biopic? That'd be a lot more interesting. This doesn't really sell it to me. You do come away and just think, I feel like I've kind of wasted my time because... You know, I, I know how history went. I knew that none of this stuff, when he suggested it was going to happen, I knew that D-Day went this way and not that. And I came away just thinking... I feel like if you'd asked me sight unseen to tell you how a Brian Cox Churchill movie was going to go, I'd have given you exactly what was in that movie. And that is, to be honest, quite disappointing. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back, Mr. Allen. So, Hi there. Your, your favourite bit now is the box office top five. Let's do it. Number five. Take That, Wonderland Live from the O2. So this was Take That, who once was five, then there were four, then there were three, and at some point I think it's just going to be Guy Barlow again. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, live from the O2. Think, no, no, you say that. Mark Owen will never leave Take That. Mark Owen I loves love Mark Take Owen. That. I Owen, he's great. You know when they did that? Re- that I mean, for the record, by the way, neither of us have seen this film, so we're just we're talking nonsense now. Neither of us have seen this performance. But no. when they did that documentary that wound up being their re- their, their launch for their reunion, like mm. ten years ago, when it became a like a man band, yeah. Like boy band. Um, the thing I remember about that documentary is just how gleefully and childlike Mark Owen's love for Take That really is. Yeah, um, I mean, th- I swear at one point he says, "I hope the sandwiches. I really like sandwiches." And I'm just like, "Wow, you you behave like my brother-in-law. It's yeah. weird." But uh, somebody get Mark Owen a sandwich. Yes, yeah, someone get Mark Owen a sandwich. I, I like to think that like he only has like like Nutella sandwiches <laughs> or marmalade like Paddington. Okay, so neither of us have seen take that. But we do like Mark Owen. We, but we do like Mark Owen, and everybody loves a sandwich. Number four. <laughs> You've been waiting so long. Uh, so I have still not seen it. Oh man! But this is Baywatch. 
Oh, I yeah. thought you would have just carved out an afternoon in the last five weeks to just run out and cash. Well, two weeks, sorry. I've I've had no time. Oh. You know, I've been running Jeremy Corbyn's campaign and everything. And <laughs> <laughs> That's been, why you've been, been heavily aged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, right, so Baywatch, I loved. I know a lot of critics, well, most, nearly all critics, in fact, every critic except me, yeah. hated. Mm. Um, I loved it. I read it. This is Jump Street funny. And I'm sorry, but 13 people went with me, 13 friends went with me, all loved it. I actually, I took a checklist on the way out, everybody loved it. Was this checklist just like, boobs, what a tick, <laughs> <laughs> penis gags? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it was, it, I did think, I had a lot of fun with it. I, it was literally a laugh a minute affair. Even, the, 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 the reveal of the title of the film is enough to have you laughing, and that's really something. You know, the cast are on fine form, Alexandra Daddario gets, you know, nothing to do, but, you know, she looks pretty doing it, which is the, arguably the purpose of Baywatch, but at least they go a little bit meta with that and actually spin that around and have the whole, actually, now we're going to exploit the guys more than the girls, mm. and... Weirdly, you've then got actually this brilliantly, brilliantly drawn female hyper villain, and that works as well. Um, yeah, I, c- yeah. I commend it for that. Yeah, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, yeah, know, it was exactly what you want a Baywatch movie in 2017. I to am, be. I am going to see it, but hmm. um, yeah, I'm going to get like a full frontal lobotomy <laughs> first. And I might enjoy it a little bit more. Number three. I don't care what you say about these films. The music. The music yeah, is the incredible. The music is great, isn't it? You could sit there for two hours with just about playing black screen Yeah, the time in life. That's it. When they when the trailer came out and they did the bit, they showed like the footage of him like leaping from rooftops and then leaping from ships. When they did the yeah. quick cut and they do that whole dum 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 right, you think, oh man, I really wish these movies were great yeah. again. Oh, this is Pirates Cabin. If you didn't, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's Pirates Pirates Five. Nobody asked for this. Um, <laughs> oh, that's that's the American title. <laughs> the, American title. <laughs> the British one is literally nobody asked for this. <laughs> But um, you weren't here when we did the review. The, the, there was a strange. I've still not seen that. Like, I'm, I'm going to see it next week with my wife because it's just it's, yeah, it's going to be fun. Strangest thing about this, about the title change, is before they cut away to the title, um, doesn't someone actually say Javier Bardem? Yeah. literally says "Dead Men Tell No Tales," and then it cuts away to Pirates of the Caribbean: Salazar's Revenge. You're like. Well, that was a perfect setup, completely, yeah. completely wasted. And you know what? That weirdly sets the tone for everything that comes afterwards. Mm. And it's about as uninvolving and uninteresting as it's been for the last four movies, noticeably not five, because I quite like the first one. You know, when it was fun and frivolous? I love the first one. The first one is great. I didn't particularly mind the last one as well. I've, I think most people I know have forgotten it, but congratulations on being the first. Um, I'm not saying that I love it. I'm not saying I particularly remember, but I remember when I was watching it, I was mm. thinking, this is okay. I am prepared to issue a caveat on the, on the Pirates series, though, based on my uh, my, my dear 20-year-old neighbour, mm. who has literally grown up with the Pirates series, and loves the sequels, and therefore loved the fifth one as well. Yeah. So, so I am prepared to say, if you're one of those people who has grown up with the series, mm. or you're someone who thinks the sequels are still fun... Then you are in good stead here. If you are like you and I, mm. where the There's first one's really the yeah. only great one, yeah. then this is not going to reignite that you're the same. I'm a little bit jealous. I mean, imagine being like, what, eight or nine when the first Pirates came out, and that, that would have been like your, yes. your Raiders. That, that, that kid has grown up with Transformers. Just imagine that. Imagine growing up in a world where the Transformers... You're a kid when the Transformers series is out. That's what you think the Transformers series is. Let's move on. Number two. I am my mum. 
mummy. <laughs> Go on. The mummy. <laughs> the mummy. That was weird. Well, I thought you were going to have some Brandon Fraser. I, I, well, <laughs> I, I then thought, oh no, I can use Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who for this. So, why not? Because <laughs> that's um, what you get up in the morning for. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's my favourite Doctor. Anyway, uh, The Mummy, which is an ungodly waste of time. It is a film that starts promisingly. It actually does update the concept quite nicely. The first mm. sort of 45 minutes, great fun. Um, you know, they, they set up, They have, you have Tom Cruise playing a sort of night and day kind of character. You have Jake Johnson as the sidekick, you have Annabelle Wallace is actually a pretty engaging uh, you know, hanging a lantern love interest kind of a thing but um and the new mummy actually does work. The new mummy arguably is the best thing about the film because she actually gets character development that Arnold Vosloo could only dream of. Unfortunately, then Russell Crowe turns up. Yeah, this is what I've heard. It kind of unravels a little yeah, bit. About when the point Dr. that Jackal turns up. Exactly. About the point that that Tom Cruise starts reenacting scenes from America Wealth in London. Literal scenes from America Wealth in London. I am talking about the bathroom scene. If you can remember, that's good because my favourite cruise right. is still the stack. There you go. Um, if you, about the point he starts doing that, and then Russell Crowe turns up and gives it the big Ray Winston, Doctor Hyde, uh, Mister Hyde. The whole movie just dies on the vine. And you just sit and think, what on earth? And and it stops making any kind of sense. Funnily enough, you know, we use... There is a, I knew there was a thematic reason why we'd use Doctor Who as the button. Um, because, you know that thing that Doctor Who does, where he you know, comes up with a solution to a problem that makes no logical sense, and they just explain it through... Mm. You know, it's called... Terry Pratchett called it make-it-up-as-you-goism. Right. That's what the mummy does. The mummy literally does it. Tom Cruise's character literally comes up with his own... Make it up as you goism, <laughs> which they then justify as the attempt to carry this series on, and you just think, no, don't do that. Let this it, die now. Is, is that how it wraps up and they <laughs> cast it off to dark universe? Whatever. It's been I have no idea where this is going, nor am I particularly interested. Number one. I think it's so rad. It is, I isn't it? I love it so much. Uh, I, I, I didn't like it the first couple of times I heard it, actually. But yeah, Wonder Woman. That, that, theme, that, yeah, I, I that thought was the one thing about weird. Ju- not just League. But, uh, uh, yeah. You know just, what I mean? Just call it Justice League. That's what it was. Justice League Zero. 0.5, yeah. yeah. Batman Superman was just Justice League Exactly, Zero, yeah. Yeah. that was my favourite part of that film. And um, I don't know what my favourite part of Wonder Woman was, because I just thought it was great. Yeah, you, so you saw Wonder Woman? Yes, yeah, you did. You texted me, didn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, and Patty Jenkins, she nailed it, didn't she? She really did. She really did. And she brought Claire Underwood along for the ride. I mean, goddamn! Oh my god! As soon as I saw Buttercup, I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yep. Um, so loved the hell out of it. I think uh, it is the first genuinely great DCEU movie. They took them four attempts. They finally yeah. got one right. Undoubtedly, uh, Gal Gadot is terrific in this. I didn't know mm. she had this in the tank. You see, I always thought that she did. I just mm. think what, what she's been in has not given her any room or any... Just anything. I mean, she's she's pretty in the fast films. And she's, <laughs> she's, she's, she's role, isn't it? Like, she's not given anything to do, really. <laughs> true. But, uh, yeah, I, I liked her. I liked the cast, uh, the, the sporting cast. I like Chris Pine. I, I like uh, Saeed Tagmawi. Um, like Mom. A, a great cast, an entertaining film, a film I actually smiled at, which for a DC movie is, is unheard of, mm. um, came away thinking, right, can we sack Zack Snyder now and give Patty Jenkins control of the DCEU in that way that Zack Snyder... I mean, he's busy anyway, though. He's, he's, ta- he's taking a step down. Yeah. While, he's, so, while he's off the deck, 
Why not let Patty Jenkins run it? Well, right now, we've got Joss. Yeah, obviously. Joss Whedon's taking the reins for a bit. Doing, doing the reshoots and whatnot. Which and is, cool. is about the same as giving it to another feminist icon anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I loved Wonder Woman. Uh, clearly you did as well. I really did, yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be up there at the end of the year. It's definitely the top three, as far as superhero films of the year goes. Yeah, literally no one expected this as well. <laughs> I call bull*** on that. Do you know? Because I've said to you several times, I think it's going to be good. You say, you, you're calling it? Okay, that's fair enough. You, you, no. But I can't say that about any of the future. No, PC no, I, think, I do think it's going to be uh, business as usual when Justice League rolls around. Yeah, I'm, I'm more confident for Aquaman. I still think Aquaman's going to be fairly decent. Yeah, I think The Flash is uh, kind of a... That, 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 that's dead on arrival. God, one. just hire someone. I'll direct it at this point. <laughs> Why bother? Just just have... Just get, get Grant. Grant. Just get Grant. Get Grant to turn up. Bring Stephen along. Uh, we'll yeah, we've, we've got Cisco. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, let me talk about Whitney real quick. Uh, which is Nick Broomfield's documentary about Whitney Houston. This premiered at DocFest over the uh, last weekend. Mm. Um, it's out properly this week uh, nationwide. This is the story of Whitney Houston. In, it's basically, she's been given the Amy treatment. You know, the, uh, the the full chronicle biopic. It suffers with comparisons to Amy because obviously that was such an iconic uh, documentary a couple of years ago. Uh, we have a brief clip. They had a vision for a pop artist. They wanted to present her as the princess. I did not go into the studio wanting to make a pop album. She was closer to her dad. But Whitney had the career that her mother always wanted. So I go. Whitney was from the hood. Bobby was street. They just had a chemistry that worked for them. I'll think of you. Robin loved her, cared for her, was a friend to her. Success doesn't change you. Fame does. This is the weird thing. I'm not a fan of Whitney Houston. Uh, I'm, I'm not, and I will tell you in the podcast extras why. Okay. Well, I'm not a fan of uh, Whitney Houston. In the same way, I was never particularly bothered about Amy Winehouse either. And then the documentary rolled on. I think, actually, it's, it, it's a superb documentary. This has very much the same thing going for it. You think, actually, yeah, this is superb. And it says a lot about the quality of the documentary that it, it, it manages to hold my interest despite having no interest in in the actual subject. Um, in this case, you've got something that is obviously quite comparable to to Amy in that, you know, there is a toxic relationship at the centre of it. There are substance abuse uh, addic- substance abuse problems. Uh, and there's a talented artist around whom all of this revolves. Um, the film doesn't sensationalise in any way, although it doesn't shy away from the tabloid-friendly aspects. It handles them with real care and delicacy, though. So, for instance, when you get to Bobby Brown, which you kind of have to, because he's an integral part of it, they do not shy away from the historically murkier parts of Bobby Brown. Although, it's so well drawn by the people in... In, in Whitney Houston's life, that you come away from it thinking, "Wow, I never knew. I never knew that aspect of this story," and that actually really does paint it somewhat differently for me. Now, yeah. okay, I kind of get it. I never knew, for instance, that he was much younger than her. Never knew yeah. that. Um, mm. And also, there's, there's just a level of behaviour in Bobby Brown that just is amusing to actually see unfold on screen. It's his prerogative, wasn't it? It was his prerogative. It's when you see the bad boy of rap. Bobby Brown in his prime you just think really that was considered cool 
Um, there is also there's an exploration uh, exploration of Whitney Houston's standing and uh, as regards the black community and how they responded to her. So, for instance, she was put out initially as a you know America's sweetheart, but dealt but, but sort of delivered as a black singer doing effectively white music. Mm. And I didn't know this aspect of the story that there was pushback from the black community that there were public booings at award ceremonies for her winning awards and things like that. Oh yeah, and that her retaliation from this was to lean into her black culture. And you think, okay, that's an incredibly interesting idea that I I never knew about. I can't help but think, you know, years from now, we could probably get a Rihanna starring uh, biopic in in the works that would probably work along the same lines as What's Love Got to Do With It. That is a great film. It it is, isn't it? Larry Fishburne as Ike Turner. (sighs) Live a fish. Come on. That is. Is it, is it Angela Bassett? Angela Bassett and that Angela Bassett and Lawrence just get Fishburne. her to be Whitney. I know. Get but, her to be like older Whitney. Yeah, right. yeah. But Rihanna is younger. Definitely Rihanna is younger. I'd see that. Yeah, I'd see that. I'd movie. see that. Uh, but this is the thing. It's also in a strange way. It takes the time out here and then to actually include some some kind of nice funny moments as well. So we meet, for instance, Whitney Houston's own actual bodyguard, who tells the story of. The development of the bodyguard movie, in which he then turns around and says, "Actually, that film kind of got it right to a lot to to a you know a lot of it, a lot of the extent." Um, However, there were two problems. One, I've never been shot at, and secondly, I never made love to her. And you think, you know what? Fair play. And that guy. It does prove to be quite an animated uh, personality and very, very needed given the sort of the morbid nature of the story that's unfolding on screen. Mm. I've not seen that film for years. I watched it this afternoon on my way back. No, I know you did. How, How does it hold up? Uh, actually, still works. Still works. And you do watch it, and you do think, actually, yes, I can see Kevin Kevin Costner has always been a movie star, even for the 20 years that we didn't allow him to be. So, yeah. Um but this is the thing, you, you look at Whitney, which is a superb documentary, it's exceptionally well-crafted, it is riveting, it is both a lavish tribute and a probing insight at the same time, and you do think, I am fascinated by how you have made this compelling, you have made it entertaining, it is also quite tragic, and not in the way that you expect, which is obviously, you know, Whitney Houston's death, but there are other tragedies within it. There is a great love story running through this that you, you may, may or may not have known about, that really tugs at the heartstrings mm. and makes the you know the end credit and the end credit reveal of where everyone wound up just absolutely devastating and and also paints at a potential future that could have been and you think well that, this is fascinating to me this i mean say it's not as knock you out of your chair you know blindingly amazing as as amy was but mm. it's a good second place with the latest film news and reviews this is off screen the on-screen radio show. Are you annoyed that I compared them? Is that what it is? I, I don't know what I am. I mean, I'm always annoyed <laughs> about something, so let's, let's just say that. Yeah. Just a curmudgeon. Okay, um, let me talk about Destination Unknown really quick then, and, okay. and then you give me some news. Uh, Destination Unknown is a film about uh, Holocaust survivors. It's uh, this really moving... It's really moving portrayal of uh, not portrayal, sorry, um, really uh, interesting look at survivors, obviously elderly people who lived through the Holocaust, and it does ask the question, which, to be honest, I, I will admit, I had actually wondered myself in the past, which is if you went through this as a child, if you went through the Holocaust as a child, how does that? I mean, obviously, it's going to affect the rest of your life, but how do you reconcile that with? 
you know, living in the world. Yeah. How, how, to what extent do you let it define you? And that is the central thesis of this film, which genuinely looks at that issue as regards the people who actually survived it. We have a quick clip. My name is Ed Masberg. When the war started, I was 13 years old. I had parents and two sisters, grandparents, uncle, cousins. I am the only survivor. Never spoke about it in the house. Never wanted to talk about it before because it was too painful to tell it to anyone you loved. And if the children were born, grew up, never do anything whatever happened to me. Right, this is directed by uh, Claire Ferguson. As far as I know, she uh, she was a, a, a technical uh, bod on films like Eyes Wide Shut and things like that, and she's making an effort here with a film that actually will devastate you. It is really... As you can hear the tone from the clip, it's very much that, that, that sort of an atmosphere to it. It is a sorrowful, very respectful documentary. Um, it does... I mean, there's a point made very early on in which one of its subjects says, I can't remember... I, I might not remember what I had for breakfast this morning, Morning, but I will remember every day of the five years I spent in that camp. And that's the message that you carry through this film. It's a very powerful, very moving piece. It's, it's a very compelling look at these people who have not overcome it, not overcome it, they, but they have find, found a way to basically move on with their lives while mm. still holding this absolutely abominable experience as a, as a part of themselves, and it is. It, I say it's captivating. It is utterly unflinching to what you you, you stare at it wide eyed, just gobsmacked. Like I cannot believe these people lived through this, and the stories they tell, the involvement of Oscar Schindler, and uh, because that is obviously a big part of this. The actual plot of Schindler's List comes up from the people who actually survived it. And think, wow, this is this is really something. I mean. Everybody needs to see this. This is one of those, like when, like when we reviewed Denial, uh, I think one of the comments one of us made was that it should actually be shown in schools. I think this is one of those films that should be used as an educational work, that actually should be used to teach children about the Holocaust. I think it has a genuinely integral place in that discussion. I think it's something that should be remembered and respected thusly. But uh, I, I absolutely... I, I can't say I loved it. I it wasn't, because it's not something you enjoy. It's something you experience. You don't enjoy it, though. You, you, yeah, experience, you experience and you it. absorb what, what, it, what unfolds on screen. It is really something, though. I mean, definitely check it out. But uh, So, give me something newsworthy. Something newsworthy. Something newsworthy. Newsworthy. Worthy. Uh, Let's talk about this because it's just open on my MacBook computer. Okay. On my Macintosh. Uh, So Melissa McCarthy is going to be in a film called uh, Margie Claus. Margie Claus. What do you think that's about? Uh, Is this going to be the gender inverted sequel to Fred Claus? It's not too far away from Fred Claus. <laughs> in the way that something happens to Santa, Father, to, Santa, to Father Christmas, because, you know, we are in England, mm. so Father Christmas to us. Christmas. Uh, yeah, he is uh, indisposed, something happens to him, uh, so someone else has to take the reins. And this is Mrs. Claus, I think. This is Mrs. Claus or Margie Claus. We is get this to know not her. the plot of uh, Arthur <laughs> Christmas, or it was? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Arthur Christmas or Fred Claus, or... They, I've forgotten what it's called, but there is a film with Anna Kendrick in the works, which is oh, very God. similar. Yes, yes, there Isn't is. Isn't she like yeah. his his daughter? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, she's like slacker daughter. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, she's like 
so take up a family business. And yeah, this is going to happen with Melissa McCarthy because she's going to co-write as well with Ben Falcone. Oh, is Ben, is ben Falcone? Yeah. Is he going to direct? He's going to direct, well? I think. And yeah. So I like Ben Falcon. I do as well. I think he's very funny. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll I'll see. I'll pretty much go see any Christmas film. I'm going to say that. I mean, I, I won't really do it by choice, but my wife will force me to do. We that. still need a, a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas two Christmas Boogaloo. I love but, that film. I love, I, that film. I love Harold, Harold and Kumar's 3D. I watch it every Christmas in 3D. Hmm. I just think it needs to be done. Um, can I talk really quickly about uh, by the time it gets dark? If you wish. Thank you. Which is a Thai movie uh, set in the 70s about a student activist um, who basically goes through a series of career changes and about the different lives that she comes into contact with along the way. Um, it is really something... It, there's a surrealist element to it. There is an, an, another worldly quality. It is something that will really chill you, something that you... you you don't again like Destination. No, you don't enjoy. You experience, and you do come away and just think, "Wow, that was a strange, unsettling kind of adventure." And it's something that will leave you pondering. You may not entirely get it, but you will come away thinking, "I didn't. I wasn't bored, and I didn't dislike that." So actually, yeah, I didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. But it's really something. It is just. It's really, really well crafted as well. It's direct, written and directed by Anocha Suicha Kornpong. Which say is, again, Anocha Suicha Kornpong. Great name. And a really Great long name. one as well. Um, but really gorgeous looking work. Really stunning, striking looking a film. And yeah, I was, I was really captivated by it. But uh, as I say, it's uh, alas though, it is, it is not our film of the week. <laughs> Shocker. But, uh, well, film of the week, I'm going to be honest. Rock I am... Dog. Rock not Dog. Rock, not Rock Dog. Not Rock Dog. No. Never Rock Dog. Never Rock Dog. Put the dog away and stop rocking with it out. <laughs> um, right. I'm, I'm going to give it to Destination Unknown, but I know that that's not really multiplex fair, and, and so I will say... We don't to... care about the multiplex. Give something out to Curzon every now and again. I don't know. I absolutely think that should be the case. Right. But I know that most people over their weekend don't want to go and spend date night watching the Holocaust documentary. I am Even not though people. they should... You and I would. This is why we're not a very good couple, guys. <laughs> <laughs> our dates we, would be we, terrible. We just stay home watching Schindler's List. <laughs> exactly. That's our romantic evening again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, Gifted. Gifted, I, I would Ooh. say, if you yeah. want uh, the date night movie for the week, go and see Gifted. Hold hands the back row of good time um, next week some interesting stuff uh, we have Hampstead with Diane Keaton going British uh, isn't uh, Brendan Gleeson about as well. he is indeed amazing uh, we have a reissue of The Graduate next week <gasps> for the 50th anniversary cool that's next week nice uh, we have The Book of Henry Trevor yeah. Rose back. Love me some uh, Trevor and some Tremblay. And some Tremblay, yeah. Uh, we have uh, the Netflix film Oakja next week. <gasps> Can't wait. Is that next week? That's next already. week. It's out on Wednesday. Oh, uh, we have yes. in this. We have in this corner of the world. We have seasons in Quincy. The four portraits of John Berger, and most importantly, the heavy hitter for next week, starring Mr. A Hop himself, Transformers: The Last Night. But sadly, not the last film. So we've got all those to come and. And more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, this has been a candy store push for on screen. I've been Van Connor. And I have never enjoyed a Transformers film in my entire life. We'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Shall we cast some extra pods, Ben?
Yes, let us indeed cast said pods. Okay, so usually we just like wax lyrical about uh, film news and mm-hmm. we do some more reviews and naturally we'll have some more films to review. We've got an extra four. An extra four. Which yeah. is crazy. But, one, um, of them is, one of them is truly terrible, by the way. Can I, oh, which one will it be? Will, will it be Nails? Will it be Slight Bay? Will it be A Good Day to Die Hard? <laughs> <laughs> will it be Dying Laughing? I don't know. Place your bets now. Did you ever see uh, Dennis Penis uh, back yeah. in the 90s when he met Bruce Willis? Yes. And, and uh, what it, uh, he one. asked Demi Moore. He asked Demi Moore, uh, is it true your, uh, your husband's going to die hard? <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I missed that guy. Remember yeah. when Dennis K Paul was K that not. funny? Uh, Paul K, sorry, Paul, Paul, Paul K. K yeah. Paul Dennis, but yes, he's amazing. Um, uh, yeah, no, we—it's um, actually quite fun on the ground um, in regards to film news. So let's just shoot the proverbial, yeah, proverbial brown, yeah, proverbial brown. So we watched um, the we watched the Flatliners trailer. We've literally just done that. Yeah, the that, Flatliners that remake, remake, rebootable. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, reboot call, yeah. reboot call. Yeah, because it's it is basically the first one. Yeah, but uh, it is again, apparently but, sat afterwards, and your man uh, Kiefer yeah. is in it. Apparently, well. that's what they're doing with the craft as well. The craft is, is going to be is there going to be a new craft. The, the craft is going to be uh, a sequel slash reboot, so reboot call as well. Have they cast right yet? Uh, no, although uh, let's hope for Nina Dobrev like uh, Flatliners. She's pretty great. Because I, like uh, I, I, would, I would, I would, I would actually spend two hours watching Nina De Brev read from the phone book. Who else would you uh, put in that film? I feel like I would actually just take the three principal female characters from the Flatliners. I, I feel that. like if you were going to make the craft now, you'd basically just get the cast of Pretty Little Liars. To, to uh, maybe, <laughs> but with like, maybe Sherlyn Woodley. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Good old Sherlyn. Mm. She needs the work at the minute. It seems. But uh, did you watch Big Little Lies? After no, I haven't got around to watching it. To yet. Watch it. Um, right. Yeah. So thoughts on uh, Flatliners. Thoughts on Flatliners remake? I think it looks really interesting. I think mm. it teaters the style, the tone approach. they've gone for. Teeters quite close to uh, Final Destination of all things. It does. Yeah, people are saying because mm. obviously a new film needs to be something meets something else. So they're yeah. saying it's Final Destination meets Inception. Yeah, I could go with that. Yeah, I, I actually kind of think, uh, I think Final Destination needs to come back as a film series, though. I love those films. I do as well. They, I mean, they're disposable crap, but yeah, they're they enjoyable. Are, they crap. are schlocky as hell. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a great. Concept. Also, you know, Devon Sauer in that film is just such, such a convenient shorthand for mm. so many situations. I, I like how number five ties it back to the yes. first one. Which, I don't know if it's I've ever told great. you this, uh, got ruined for me by my obsessive attention to detail. Oh, so, right. so you, you already called The it. telephones that they use all the way through Final Destination 5 are a very specific Motorola StarTac. And I noticed that they were all using this phone, because I used to love that phone. And I remember watching it thinking, that's so weird that they're all using this retro phone. Why do none of them just Google the events of mm. all the way through? And then when the reveal came, I didn't quite predict the reveal, but I'm sort of thinking, is this set in the past? Because <laughs> they don't use the internet. And and then obviously it happened. I was like, oh, okay, that kind of all adds up now. That's a thing. Can I talk about Nails really quickly, then? Very quickly. Right, which is an 85-minute Irish horror film starring Shauna MacDonald from The Descent... She was the lead in, in The Descent. Okay. She is, uh, I think she's like a, a fitness, she's a, a, a fitness, she works in the fitness profession somehow. She's like a runner or a trainer or something. Uh, she and her husband both. She gets hit by a car right at the beginning of the film. And she spends the entire movie confined to this hospital, where she is then tormented by this malevolent entity who no one else can see, only she can see. Um, uh, and no one believes that this is going on. Uh, the only person who seems to be on her side is an orderly at the hospital, played by, would you believe it, Ross Noble. Yeah, your look, yeah. 
This makes sense. Sorry, I've, I've been half looking at his Twitter feed for like... A while, and, and that popped up a while ago. Yeah. And I just... Do you know when you, like, you see a tweet and you kind of like half read it? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Right. Um, are, yes. Not Ross Noble's first venture into horror in Sunday, because he had that film Stitches, Stitches a couple of Stitches, where he was an evil clown. Which I liked. I think that was really underrated. Yeah, I didn't mind that. Um, it, it played with the silliness really well. I think, mm. we, I think we actually did review that. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's it. It's confined to the hospital. There's the sort of Kinderstar-like entity. Uh, we have a clip. I hear you're having some issues. You want to talk about it? He was brought in as a patient. Some of the staff gave him a nickname. Nails. Nobody believes me. Deanna is in trouble. So, as you can hear, a little line for Mr Noble in there as well. Um, right, this is really forgettable. I mean, a lot of it hinges on, you know, Sean McDonald's quite always impressive to watch on screen. There's some flashy editing and some good creature effects. But other than that, it's a very by-the-numbers uh, uh, sort of feature. It seems to have spawned... It's one of those that you watch and you do think, quite clearly, the makers of this film just got access to a disused hospital and then crafted a, a concept and an idea around the fact that they had a disused hospital. Mm. You know, like we we have friends who make movies, and that's the kind of thing that happens all the time. And you can you very much feel that all the way through this film. There is nothing original whatsoever here. It just hops from one concept to another. It's borrowed from infinitely better films, and really you just come back to the fact that it's edited in such a way that it looks kind of cool, and the creature effects work. But other than that. It's pretty much a waste. It's like 85 minutes. This is going to be on Sky Cinema next week. Mm. You know, it'll be on Netflix or Amazon Prime next week. I don't see this being... This is one of those that they're putting in cinemas purely kind of for that, so they can say they did, really. You, know, you get a lot of those, but they do one day of, of a screening and, and, and yeah. like that. But uh, it it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> wasn't even the best film I saw that day. Is it better than Rock Dog? Is it about the rock dog? Nothing is. No, I mean, because... Uh, no, no, no. The, the one with Eddie Izzard in, he's always going to get on a higher than the one with Ross Noble in. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, just is what it is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, not, nothing to shout home about. Yeah. Shame. But, hey, really. um, okay, let's talk about another trailer. Go on, Let's got? just do this. Um, Black Panther dropped the other day. Black Panther dropped, yeah. yes. Because, obviously, Wonder Woman came out. Big success. Big yeah. success. Everyone seemed to like it. Marvel gave DC a week <laughs> to, to revel in that. In that we success. have a minority too! Yeah. And then poster and then the trailer dropped soon after it. And it was good. It is really good. Isn't it? They've really mm. played up the international espionage angle, which really looks good. Also, Denai Gurria, I think. Yes. Have you heard she's joined uh, Infinity <laughs> War? Has she? she? As of today, she's officially joined Infinity War. That's cool. But uh, speaking of joining uh, films, a um, bit of news in the last 24 hours, Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, has joined uh, MI6. MI, MI6, yeah. yeah. Uh, has joined Mission Impossible I don't know that's just what it's going to be called. I hope so, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they missed a treat last time, not calling it MI5. MI5, yeah. But, great, uh, great, uh, great title, though. Yeah. But anyway, no, um, Michelle Monaghan's coming back, which means we're finally going to get an answer to what the hell was going on with that storyline in this series, mm. because... The last time we saw her was at the end of number four. Uh, end of was that Rogue, uh, Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Protocol. And uh, Tom Cruise... 
was just kind of just looking at her. I think the idea was yeah. that she had gone into hiding yeah. uh, and he was for just, protection. He's, he's, like, keeping tabs on her just to make sure that yeah, There was some fine. background storyline that someone had tried to kill them. Yeah, well, in, in three, obviously, she is a big part in number three, mm-hmm, yeah. and her well-being is put under pressure. Indeed. So, so, yeah, so she goes into hiding on witness protection, and Ethan Hunt is like, let's break up for your own good. <laughs> <laughs> It's not you, it's yeah. me, and the people that want to kill yeah. me. That's who it is. <laughs> that um, old Chester. We've all been dumped for that reason. Yeah, I, I don't know if she's going to be a particularly big part of this film. However, Chris McCrory has said that this film is going to be more about Ethan Hunt as a person. Yes. It's going to be which... like, we're going to find out who he is. Well, really. we don't know anything about him, do we? Not really. No. no. Six movies he's a, down. He's a spy. Yeah, we know he's a spy. nothing he of likes this to run. He likes to climb. And occasionally he has barbecues with friends. You know, yeah, with J.J. Abrams but, as friends. But not as many as Dom Toretto. No, no, Dom Toretto no. is the king of backyard barbecues. Yeah. There, there was not a corona in sight. Do you, think, impossible films. do you think Dominic Toretto has ever eaten food made in an oven? In an indoor oven? I don't think he has. No, I think he's had food from an oven, but only like an outdoor pizza oven. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like... Yeah. That's the closest to an oven he's ever yeah, I feel like if his food isn't prepared outdoors, Dominic Toretto won't eat it. <laughs> I don't think that, I, don't, I think that's just Vin. I don't think that's, that's just Vin Diesel. <laughs> right. Let me from something cheerful. Then let me talk about something far less cheerful. Let me talk about Slack Bay, uh, which is this turn of the century set f- French bonkers. Well, comedy, farcical surrealist comedy from Bruno Dumont. Um, the big name star here is Juliette Binoche, who turns up as a sort of big name addition to the cast about halfway through. It is set in 1910 in Slack Bay. It is uh, uh, literally a, a, an area where a rich family are coming to stay at their house by the bay, and they are arriving just as there's a series of disappearances in the area, which have been perpetrated by one of the serfs. And... It's there's different stories. You've got the rich family and their internal arguments. You've got the bumbling police officers who are investigating the disappearances, and you've got uh, Malut, who the film is actually named for in French, um, who is the serf who is actually perpetrating these murders that he's staging as disappearances. It is all over the shop. It is a complete mess. It tries for surrealist ideals when it can't come up with a way to make itself interesting, and every time it threatens to actually engage you, it wanders equally off the course. It's a complete waste of time. It is one of those, you know, a little bit of surreal goes a long way. This is the film that very much proves that. And, yeah, I, I cannot for the life of me try and figure out what the what the, the, the central thought behind it all was. It's just madcap ideas. That it, it plays like a Wes Anderson movie that has been stripped of any creative discipline whatsoever. And you sit there, you, you, you never thought you'd say it, but you sit there and you think, wow, I almost long for the normality of a Wes Anderson movie. And, again, not something I ever thought I'd say aloud. But Something uh, I say on a daily basis. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Whilst staring... Yeah. Directly into the centre of a mirror. <laughs> With hipster, hipster glasses on. Whilst wearing giant oversized aviator glasses. Exactly. Whilst listening to, uh, to Crosby, Stills and Nash. Indeed, as one does. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Luke Wilson. By the way, have you seen Free Fire yet? Because I noticed this is coming out shortly. Uh, I tried to watch it the other day, and uh, yeah, something wasn't working with the uh, copy that I oh, right, procured. Okay. So I will I will watch it when it comes out on the Blu-ray. But no, I've, I've sadly not seen it. It kind of passed me by, unfortunately. I was busy when it was out. Well, it's a shame. I have some film news for you. Go on, I'll I, counter you with some film news, sir. Okay, well, this is this is uh, evolving. One of your favourite boys. This is uh, Mr. Siler. 
Oh, uh, RJ. RJ. Mm. Um, he is going to... He's joined the cast of the Two Live Crew mm. biopic, which is not a biopic I even knew we were getting. W- was there a market for this? No, I seem to think that Straight Outta Compton has opened up the floodgates. <laughs> it kind of has, yeah. yeah. So he's going to be he's going to be in, in the Two Live Crew movie. This is... Cool. What, what was that big hit? Uh, me So Horny. Right. Me so horny, me, me so horny. There it is. <laughs> yeah, you know. And that is, that, is, that is as close as I'm getting to singing on this one. There is a title for it. I forget. Um, let me pull this up here. Plain Nana <clears throat> Cherry. <laughs> yeah, Plain Nana Cherry next. Yeah. One of the two songs, please. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I'm glad RJ Siler's getting that role, though. I think because... Well, it, but the film's called The Book of Luke, by the way. It's okay. uh, He's actually going to play Luther Campbell. So he's playing the front man. Right. He is the lead. So this is going to be interesting. But uh, he was the, he was renowned as being the king of dirty rap, Luther Campbell. I always wondered why. Who, who was yeah. the king? Because I, I, I missed that particular coronation. <laughs> well, the weird thing is, Two Live Crew do have a, a bizarre place in music history. The, something that actually happens outside of their actual music, which was they actually took a court case, a copyright infringement court case that had been filed against them, all the way to the US Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court filed in their favour. Actually yeah. ruled in their favour. So Two Live Crew actually won at the US Supreme Court, and it was a copyright really? case over sampling, which obviously became a really big thing in the early 90s. Mm. And in the case of Two Live Crew, it was because they had sampled Oh Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. Yeah, and uh, I can see the, the disdain on your face right there. But, um, yeah, they, they won that case, and they wound up setting the precedent for sampling in music. So, But I think that discussion really started with Vanilla Ice. That was that was the... Well, I wouldn't say that it started with Vanilla Ice, but uh, definitely... It, in the, in it, the, came, in the, it came to yeah. a mainstream head, shall we say. Yeah, exactly. In the, in the, the poppy and the tabloids. It's obviously, like in, in New York in the 80s, that's kind of where... Hmm. That's why it kicked off. If... Oh, a lot of hip hop. I mean, yeah. it does come from hip hop more than yeah. any other. Grandmaster Flash, genre. And yeah. All that. But it was uh, it was the overnight success of Vanilla Ice that really brought that to a start to bring that to a head. I think. Mm. But uh, yeah, so interesting uh, development to come there. I think. Yeah. Did you know that uh, we're going to be treated to a Snowpiercer TV show? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. I did, and it's going to star uh, someone quite uh, notable, I believe. Well, uh, the lead is going to be uh, uh, David Diggs. From uh, Hamilton. That was it. I, I, I was just saying, and why do I know Blackish him? And he's in the get down as well. I, is he I'm in Blackish? Sure. Who is he in Blackish? He plays um, Rainbow's brother. Oh, but, him! Yeah, he, he doesn't come into it until I think it's like season three. I, I am midway through season three of Blackish. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's I, I love Blackish. Oh, I'm, yeah, you're fully in now. I'm fully it's into great. Blackish. It's I great, love Blackish. Uh, Dion Cole is my favourite character oh, God, in that show. Charlie. That's Charlie. Uh, but also, I love <laughs> Charles. Di- yeah, that's Diane. it. I love Diane. Yeah, the, the Diane. Do- and her antagonistic relationship with, uh, uh, with, with Charlie. Just Jack and Diane are incredible. Uh, Diane. Um, Charles. Charles. I love Junior as well. Yeah, he's yeah. he's got that kind of JD role in a weird way. That sort of nerdy effeminate. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, actually, I will I'll fully get on board with that because in it's a way, like, it is that JD type characterization, isn't it? But he goes further because like, in a way, his dad kind of has a bit of a Doctor Cox like relationship. Yeah, he's always yeah. a bit mean. And... But I just I just think the last episode I've watched of it so far is the pranking episode where uh, yes, they actually fake Dion Cole's death and amuse yeah. the hell out of Diane. Who literally sits at his funeral smiling? Yeah, which I that. just had me in stitches. It is so good. I love Lawrence Fishburne yeah. in that show. 
Yeah, I love how he just periodically drops out and then shows up again. Yeah. And then the reason for him not being there is like he was in Vegas for like a couple of weeks. He was well, lost. And the thing with Blackish that I really love is you do sit there and think this could all be taken in completely the wrong context if it didn't have an actor the caliber of Lawrence Fishburne turn up to play mm. that otherwise quite stock role and give it some gravitas and actually anchor the whole show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I really love it. Thank, thank you for recommending that. I am a big fan. Not a problem. You have uh, given many a show to me over the years. So back to Snowpiercer, sorry. Back to this. Well, yeah, brings us back around. Uh, Divi Diggs, he's mm. going to be the lead in that. Um, yeah. I don't think he's playing the character that Chris Evans was. I think it's. Uh, no, I think they are. Because you can pretty much replace a lot of the characters as long as you keep the story You keep intact, the story yeah. and what's going on. But um, yeah, recently uh, Jennifer Connolly has yeah. uh, been signed up to appear as well, which is pretty cool. She's going to be the voice of the train, isn't she? Yeah. The first-class passenger who is the voice of the train. Yeah. Can I just point out, though, mm. this film has still not been released in the UK. Maybe, maybe this will actually happen. Now that we have the graphic on. novels, by the way, on the shelf there. Oh, do we? Yeah. We should, we should just read those yeah, and not say anything. Read them out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I have, I have the, uh, the two volumes of, of Le Transpierge. Um on the, on the oh, show. I would like to be by match with something. Very, very good. Um, yeah. A lot more brutal than the film, even, if you can imagine such a thing. Right. I mean, literally opens, the, the opens with a graphic brutal. suicide. Yeah. But yeah, I love the film the so film, much. I've only seen the film once, actually. I need mm. to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that again. Uh, back before Netflix clamped down on the geo-blocking uh, thing, where you could still access sure. US Netflix, yeah. uh, I did watch Snowpiercer when it got added to US Netflix. As did I, actually. That's how I, yeah. that's how I first saw it. And, the only uh, time I've seen it. Yeah, you can actually get a really nice French steel steelbook Blu-ray. I've seen for I think about eighteen quid. Wow! So it comes a really lovely chrome box. And mm. yeah. if you've not seen Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer is one of my favourite movies ever. Would you, would you go as far as saying that? Really? I would genuinely. It is in my top ten of all time. It's movies. one of my favourites from the last few years. Certainly, mm. like top three by the year of that. Came I think out. it goes without saying that it is the greatest film to never get released in this country. But there's got to be a list somewhere. Oh, there'll like, be a list. I'm sure there will I've be. I've got to check that out. But for my money, it's the greatest film that's never been released in this. Yeah, uh, well. the series. Um, it comes from uh, Scott Derrickson. He's going to be yeah, directing the pilot, that. and I think he's kind of the one that's been spearheading the mm. project. He's going. I know he's going to say son on as a producer of the series as well. Uh, yeah, and then the showrunner's guy called uh, Josh uh, Friedman. Josh Friedman, who yeah. has a caliber in like '90s. Uh, uh, network TV shows think cool. if I'm not mistaken I think Josh Friedman comes from Lois and Clark of all things so you say there's a chance that we may get TV's Dean Kane on this train we can only dream we can just call it the Dean Kane train we can only oh man the Kane train the Kane train oh. Oh. hey come on if if, uh, if if Mr. Wilfred was played by Dean Kane, you you would love that I would what I happens would. if the engine stops we all freeze and die <laughs> Oh yeah. god! I just go watch it. If watch you've never Snowpiercer. Seen it. Find Snow. Pay what, the eighteen why, quid. Why are you listening to us? Yeah. When you could be watching go Snow on Pierce. Amazon. Pay the eighteen quid. Get the French Steelbook Blu-ray. Mm. I promise, Snowpiercer is amazing. Mm. My sister, who has the worst taste in films imaginable, actually loves Snowpiercer. She really? can't remember the title of it. She refers to it as that train movie. That train movie. Yeah. You should get it confused with uh, Train to Busan. No, Under Siege Which 2. Which I've, I've seal, still not seen. I have seen Under Siege 2. You know I've seen Under Siege <laughs> Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Was that really the subtitle? Yes. Its subtitle is Dark Territory. <laughs> He's still a chef, and this time, Catherine Heigl's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a 15-year-old Catherine Heigl for some reason. So weird. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Okay, so, uh, A Good Day to Die. Let's talk about A Good Day to Die. So, um, 
is Bruce Willis in this? Bruce Willis is not in this. Uh, this is a documentary. Mm. Uh, it is a documentary <laughs> about... Uh, Die Hard 5. About, about <laughs> Die Hard 5 and everything that went wrong with Die Hard 5, starting with the idea <laughs> to make Die Hard 5. Yeah, it, it begins when Jai Carney's parents meet. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly that. Yeah. Um, right, so Good Day Tonight is a documentary about war, uh, about, uh, war photographers. Um, it has the subtitle Hokahei, which refers to a tattoo that uh, our central figure actually has, uh, Jason Howe, uh, has on his arm. Mm. It's basically the story of of uh, of Jason Hay, uh, Jason Howe, sorry, and his his travels, his exploits, how he cut his teeth in one conflict before moving on to the next, and how he you know he he, he covered things in Colombia, for instance, and then went over to Iraq and found it was a very different way of doing things, and it is. Uh, it's a film that main it outstays its welcome a little bit because I don't think there's quite enough material to sustain the length it has. I mean, it clocks in at just under ninety minutes. You do feel like this was a one-off, doc, a one-off TV, one-hour documentary. You know, like a forty-five minute thing on Channel Four, mm. forty-five minutes plus advert. Feels very much like something like a Channel Four dispatches kind of a presentation, you know, Channel 4 Dispatches, The War Photographer. Right. It feels like one of those. It is slightly overextended for its feature runtime. I think it will actually wind up getting cut down and put into a format like that, something like BBC Storyville or something along those lines. Um, it's interesting enough, I just think it's there's not enough material to sustain the runtime. Um, there are tragic stories in there, naturally. There's some amusing stories, camaraderie and things like that. Um, but it's you do kind of come away from it thinking wow that's that's just really so much more of an effort than it needed to be and you kind of wish they just condensed it a little bit we, we don't know why we're inundated with documentaries this week because the next review and the last review we've got to do is uh, dying laughing that's a documentary as well well it's fitting because uh doc fest oh yeah, yeah that's just been and gone so it's kind yeah. of tied in well, yes. good to know almost as if it was planned I know, imagine that. Uh, well, actually, funnily enough, I turned up for the uh, press show of Whitney, and uh, the, the head of PR for Dogwolf uh, mm. is a woman named uh, Young Ka, and a uh, lovely woman, and uh, she wasn't there for a change. I was like, where's Young Ka? She's in Sheffield. I went, I've just come from Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> I demand to see her. <clears throat> I've just come from Sheffield. Present me with Young immediately. <laughs> Would you like to know why I don't like Whitney Houston. Oh, yes, please tell me now why you don't like Whitney Houston. Okay. Uh, when I was a boy of eight years old, uh, for some when reason... When I was eight years old, <laughs> there was I, a Whitney Houston song. I went to see Whitney Houston. Live? Live. Well... Really? That was the plan. Yeah, my mum, for some reason, I really don't know why to this day, but um, she was going with her friend to see Whitney Houston and also... Had well, she had a spare ticket and couldn't find a babysitter or whatever. An eight-year-old took an eight-year-old to go see Whitney Houston. Okay, fair enough. Um, along we went to the show. Um, the time came where she was supposed to be on stage. Mm -hmm. Whitney did not appear. Half an hour went by. Yeah, still no Whitney. Okay, an hour and a half later, like after, uh, like a. 10,000 people strong yeah. like, crowd of... Where yeah. was this, by the uh, way? Sheffield Arena. Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot of uh, angry Yorkshire people doing like a really slow... Oh, for like God. an hour. Uh, yeah, after like an hour and a half, she waltzes on stage. Yeah. Plays for about 40 minutes, and then waltzes off stage. Wow. And uh, the reason for her tiredness was because she was having a Chinese. You're kidding. She had... Well, her people had ordered a Chinese meal 
from her favourite London Chinese restaurant to be flown to Sheffield for her. And she was an hour and a half late. Wow. Yeah. And because I remember, like, my mum and my mum's friends being so angry about it, I then, like, inherited some of that anger and was always just like... You know what's really strange? That that sort of behaviour, actually, doesn't really doesn't jive with the personality that gets depicted in the documentary. Really? Very strange. Um, The the personality in the documentary is actually, she was quite... It presents her as being actually, at her core, quite a fun-loving girl. Mm. Um, And a lot more... uh, a, A lot more street than she was given credit for, which, again, doesn't quite jive with the polished, preened princess that we see, you know, you see on talk shows and things. Um... But, yeah, she did love food, though. That gets made abundantly clear. That's it. Is, is there any mention of her eating, like, a spring roll? Like, no, uh, nothing like that. It's not, it's not like she does. She talks to Cameron whilst munching on a spring yeah, roll. Yeah, she's got some egg, egg for young in her face. <laughs> I didn't know, actually, speaking of, of, of the, the bodyguard, uh, mm. Lawrence Castan wrote it. Yes, yes, he did. He also produced it. Memo. Yeah, he produced that's, as well. That's crazy. Um, Mick Jackson, who directed it, he directed something recently, didn't he? Did he? I can't remember what it was. I'm sorry, Mick Jackson. Yeah, but... <laughs> God. Wow, it's a real music <laughs> fest this week on this show, isn't it? Between yeah. Rock Dog, Whitney Houston, and all the little puns. We're really uh, bringing it home. Oh my God, this guy, like, directed my childhood. Did he? What did he direct? <laughs> he directed Volcano. That was it! But he directed something else recently. Like very, We reviewed it in the last two months. Uh, Denial. Denial, there you go. That was it. He directed Denial. I knew wow. it was something from the last couple of months. But, That's crazy. Uh, do you remember he when did we LA story? When we reviewed Denial, I remember telling you, "Oh, it's from the director of Volcano," and then you responded with, "Oh my god, I love Volcano." Yeah, and, I, I will uh, always say that. Oh yeah, clearly, I love Volcano. The coast is toast. Takes a geological event to heat a million gallons of water in twenty-four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that because of Volcano. That's what made Paul Giamatti want to be an actor. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like, like there needs this to be film a, is missing me. Uh, to I feel like there needs to be a prequel movie to San Andreas in which Paul Giamatti's impressionable young boy character is in a movie theater watching Volcano, saying, mm. "That's what I need to do with my life." Yeah. Flashback scenes. That must be me. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. And then on the way, I was like, "Who should we get to see the movie?" Everybody. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and then Gabby Oldman comes up and says, "Everybody." <laughs> Yeah, and actually, yeah, let's tie it into uh, some uh, disaster film news. Um, You know what we've got? Yeah, this has literally just come out. Um, Rampage with Dwayne Rock Johnson. Uh, He just tweeted the official release date. It's a lot sooner than I thought it was going to be. When is it? It is uh, April twentieth next year. Year? Oh hell yes! Yeah, Uh, in the middle of filming it right now. He's just posted a picture of himself. He keeps putting pictures online. You know, looking big. I've seen a picture of uh, him and Naomi Harris running, yeah, uh, running something. It's a, it's a good cast, to be fair. It's got uh, it's got my boy uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan in it. It's got uh, Jim Agnello in it as well. It has, mm. but you know, let's 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 focus on on Jeffrey Dean Morgan <laughs> Jeffrey because Morgan. we all know that Negan's the man. Yeah. But, well, um, yeah, okay. I mean, who 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 are you talking to? Are you talking to before people that are still watching Walking Dead? <laughs> <laughs> Before people have yet to discover American Gods. Uh, well, there is that. I mean, I've not got past episode three of that, I don't think, yet. Actually, I've only watched the first two, but, but I, uh, I am enjoying it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's really something. It is really, really something. Yeah. I've got to give it that. Yeah. But, and I like Calvin from Hollyoaks an awful lot more than I thought I would. So, yeah, that's I can't a, remember his name. Ricky Whittle, I want to say? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What's it? Moon something? Mo- moon Shadow? I think it's Moon Shadow. Something like oh, that. Oh, we just getting confused with the song. I don't know. I absolutely don't know. Uh, yeah. Let me do a review of Dying Laughing, then, because this is actually something that uh, would intrigue you, I think. 
Uh, Dying Laughing okay. is a documentary about the practice of stand-up comedy. Ooh. Right. It is a black-and-white shot documentary that is largely just talking heads with famous comedians, and from both sides of the Atlantic as well. So we're talking about... You get your Jerry Seinfelds, but you also get Frank Skinner. You get your uh, your Kevin Hart. Mm. You also get Frankie Boyle. You know, you, you, you get uh, Amy Schumer. You also get Jason Manford. And it is, from both sides of the Atlantic, a look at the practice of coming up in the world of stand-up comedy, Mm. about how you start out, about the practice, the first set you do, about how that goes, about engaging with the audience, about dealing with hecklers, about uh, basically the dealing with the success that can come about it, and basically looking at the ins and outs of the day-to-day lives of of how you go about it. Do you have to be funny all the time? How how does the process of writing jokes work? have a clip you feel the mood of the room is just this cement block and i just i just left that night and i was devastated there was about six people because it was raining and i just died on my ass and some guy yelled something like go back to school or something it was something really flimsy like that anyway i in the rain we drove back and my dad went yeah well you're uh you're good at a lot of different things. This is uh, this probably isn't a thing for you, but if you enjoy it as some type of hobby, then uh, yeah, it can't hurt really. You know, it could hurt your self-esteem, sure. The idea in theory is really good, but it comes very close to. Did you ever see Misery Loves Comedy a few years ago? Uh, was that the Kevin Pollock one? That was the Ke- Kevin Pollock directed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like. Actually, I watched that about a month ago. Oh right, yeah, okay. Strangely enough, wasn't it? On, was it on Netflix or something in the end? Uh, yeah, it, it remains on Netflix. Oh right, That's so I watched it. I remember they sent me a screening link for it years ago and asked, "Would you mind reviewing this?" I'm like, "It's a stand-up movie. Of course, I'll review it. I love stand-up." Yeah. But uh, the problem is this... Misery Loves Comedy had a very specific remit, which was to address the link between comedians and depression. This is a lot looser an affair. This is very much anecdotes. This is kind of... uh, This is just, you know, stories of as and when. So odds are, whoever your favourite comedian is probably going to be in this. Who are your favourite comedians, anyway? Ooh, uh, I have to have... Like separate lists for like American ones and UK ones. So well, they ones. are all in this film together. So the, the okay. bitch one, um, uh, Reginald D. Hunter, American doesn't, ones doesn't appear. Shame. Uh, bitch ones, Ross Noble, uh, Dylan Moran. Ross Noble does appear, I think. Does yep. he? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Dylan Moran, um, Bill Bailey doesn't. Uh, Louis C.K. Strangely, doesn't actually. I'm really hitting out here, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, it is weird, isn't it, that you get Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock. I was going to say, like, like, but I, no Louis C.K. You get. Yeah, like obviously. Dave Chappelle, Chris mm. Rock. Chris Rock was touring next year. Oh. He's, play, he's, Road playing, trip. he's playing Leeds. Road trip. Road trip. Yeah. That's, that's going down. That's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I'm a big, big stand-up comedy fan. What was the thing? Because it's, it's arrived on Netflix this week. Oh, hello? You went to see that on your honeymoon, I did, didn't you? and I watched the Netflix show yesterday. Oh, okay. Right. So it, it's a re- physical recording of the actual stage of show. Of the actual it? Broadway show, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, so it's, it's essentially... You said it was improvised or something? It's, it's partly improvised. So it would have been different from what you saw. It was it was fairly similar because okay. it's it's basically about these two seventy year old guys that live in the West Side. They're of, played by like thirty year olds. Played by two thirty year old <laughs> Jewish comedians, but the characters they play are not Jewish. They just look Jewish. Okay. Yeah. But the whole joke is like like most seventy year old men, then they're, they're not 
uh, women or Jewish, but when we get 70, they're somehow both. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and then... Who are uh, the actors in it? Uh, John Mulaney and uh, Nick Kroll. Ah, yes. Yeah. Okay, you did and tell the, me. The, the setup is, it's like a play within this play. Okay. So they've written a play, and they're telling you about the play, and then they do the play in front of you. Would I enjoy it to watch, you think? I think you would love it. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a yeah. watch. It's, and there's, there's so a special guest in it as well. It's called Oh Hello on it's Broadway. It's called Oh Hello on Broadway. Okay, right. On Netflix. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give that a look. But I think everyone's going to be sparking up the Netflix free trial offer this next week for Oakja. So oh, definitely. I can't wait from the director. I, I, have you seen those character posters? Uh, yes. Those yeah. are some of the best character posters I think I've ever seen. I, I can't They're wait. They're amazing. But uh, that's really something. Yeah, man. But uh, anyway, so uh, film news. Um, one last bit we've got. Uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr.? Yes. Little Ice Cube. Little Ice Cube. <laughs> what, what, we've got to come up with a better name of that. Uh, shaved Ice? Shaved Ice. <laughs> crushed Ice. Crushed Ice. Crushed yeah. Ice. So Ice Cube, Crushed Ice. Would, actually, no, technically he could just be water, couldn't he? He'd just be water. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, anyway, he's doing uh, the Doc Ellis biopic, which is cleverly just going to be called Doc. Doc. Uh, Doc Ellis was the Pirates pitcher, uh, Major League Baseball pitcher for the for the Pirates. Who do you know the story? No. He famously just one day came out and said, "I have literally never played a game sober." Really? Yeah. And he said, "It's literally never happened. I have never yeah. played a single game. I am always drunk." Yeah. Um, and he wound up uh, going into treatment for for uh, alcohol substance abuse, and then decided to dedicate the rest of his life to helping athletes deal with their own addictions. So, That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And you see the picture of the guy. You look up a picture of Doc Ellis. He looks Sim- exactly like. Doc, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis. But he looks exactly... Oh, man. Yeah, looks like O'Shea Jackson, doesn't he? Well, he he looks like young Ice Cube. <laughs> which, which is O'Shea <laughs> also looks like O'Shea Jackson. Yeah. Man, I really need to watch Straight, uh, Straight Outta Compton again. Uh, see, I see, I, I rewatched it about nine months, I think, ago. When it hit home release. Great uh, Paul Giamatti. As well. I know. <laughs> Paul Giamatti's not going to be satisfied until he's screwed over every musician in history. Yeah, I've been told everyone about every single natural disaster, <laughs> or upcoming natural disaster. Do you know what? You know, there is a sequel development to uh, San Andreas. There's yeah. been no word on Paul Giamatti returning. I refuse to see I a th- San Andreas he, sequel if he's not he, in it. I think he is actually the villain. I think it's a hurricane voiced by Paul Giamatti. Right. You know where they were doing all those reshoots on Geostorm? Hmm. I'm just hoping that one of them was to include, <laughs> include Paul Giamatti. <laughs> that's that's why it didn't work. That's why it didn't work. Dean <laughs> Devlin just it's, looked at it and said, "He's missing Dean. Paul Giamatti." It does, yeah, yeah. But, he's great. Uh, uh, should we go out on some Nicolas Cage news? Give us some Nicolas Cage news, and then you queue it up because it's uh, you you queue up the moment of because you know you've been away. It's it's your privilege. It's, so it is, uh, much, yeah. it is my my Nicolas Cage given right. <laughs> He is signed on to star in a film set in the 80s. A thriller. An 80s thriller. I heard about this, yeah. It is called Mandy. And no, it's not based on... The the Barry Manilow song. Yeah. That's a shame. Which is a shame, because if anyone's going to play Barry Manilow, it's Nicolas Cage. By the way, you know when you were away, he signed Mm. on for two movies in which he takes on Ruthless Drug Lord. (laughs) Literally, two movies. I smell shared universe. Yeah. Well, in the first one, he... Oh, oh, get this, by the way. In one of them, he plays a, a Peruvian coffee farmer. Sure. Yeah, because <laughs> Nicolas Cage, why not? Huh? Well, Mandy, uh, it is uh, it's set in 1983. It will see uh, Nicolas Cage as a broken man, because... I mean, Isn't he he's always, always a broken, broken man? man. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he had to sell all his castles. <laughs> <laughs> 
was engaged as a broken man, uh, braving the wilderness in order to hunt a religious sect who brutally murdered the love of his life. And is described as being a surrealist heavy metal soaked story oh, of wow. battle axes and demon bikers. What? Give it me now. Yeah, <laughs> sign me, me up. Give it me now. Although I want to point out that we did think Outcast sounded like a good movie in theory. So. I mean, it, it gave us some great sound bites, if anything else. Yeah. And then there was Army of One. <laughs> Drink up, lad. <laughs> <laughs> what brings you here, lad? <laughs> oh, God, that movie was Army horrible. of One, yeah. Just, um... Nicholas Cage teams up with God. Wow. So good. <sighs> uh, yeah, um, it is beginning to film this summer in Belgium. Of course it is. Yeah. He always just films in Europe. Random doesn't places, yeah. doesn't he? It's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, uh, Elijah Wood is going to be. Yes, uh, Elijah Wood's a producer on it because it's out for that. Uh, is it Spectavision? Spectavision. That, yeah. that label that he set up. Yeah. And. Johan yeah. Johansson is going to compose music for it. That is some pedigree. To it, get that is, isn't film. it? Johan Johansson did. Uh, was it Sicario? Sicario, uh, yeah. Fear of Everything. Uh, I think he did a rival. Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. He absolutely did, yes. And yeah, uh, because we can't say nice good. enough things about Arrival. No, we can't. We, we, oh, we, man, we cannot. that film it was so great. good, wasn't it? Give me more Denis. Yeah. Give me some Denis. No, no. Well, it, it's not long. It's only like four months until Blade Runner, so... Blade Runner 2049. Exactly. So we've got that to look forward to. Mm. Anyway, so that, that kind of fills our week, really. Yeah. In which case... Here it is. Your moment of gauge. This is the Merlin Circle. It focuses your energy... Helps you master new spells. It is where you will learn the art. Once you enter, there is no going back. So I should probably pee first. <laughs>